Cool. Good morning again. And that, that thing is crazy. Is that messing you up, Dan? Because it's messing me up. I sound great? Yeah, okay. That sounds better under a, under a pool of water, huh? All right. Well, God bless you guys. I'm so glad you're here. I hope, uh, I hope you're blessed this morning. You need to pray for me because I am so tired. This week has been a crazy week. I was, uh, if, you, if you need a Bible, or a lovely van, I mean, uh, Pastor Brian has a Bible, so if you need one, just raise your hand, and he will give one to you. Um, our, our scripture today is going to be Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and we'll get there in just a second, um, but first I'd like to pray, if that's okay with you guys. Father, we come before you right now, and I just, I just ask for your anointing, Lord, that that everything that is said and everything that is heard is, is through your spirit. Lord, we don't, want, we don't want us to be visible. We want you to be the one who's glorified, and we want all eyes on you. And Lord, so I, I thank you that you <laughs> use the foolish things and foolish people of this world to bring your gospel. And so I pray now that your word would go forth in your power and in your might, and that all of our hearts would be changed, and that we would leave here today with a a closer relationship with you, or I hope, Lord, for the first time, a relationship with you. So we give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, yes, this is way off the subject, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yesterday, I was, I was blessed and honored to do my first funeral uh, here at the church for a family that didn't even come to the church. And, you know, A, your first funeral is kind of scary, but not even knowing the person. It's like, wow, how do you how do, you do that? Um, and so I just sought the Lord, and some of the verses that he gave me of comfort had to do with, you know, who he is, and, and it doesn't matter how great of a Christian we are, because it's all about him, and it's all about what he accomplished on the cross, right? And one of the songs that they had chose to do the, the, the prelude as people came in was one of the very verses that I had in my notes, not even knowing. Um, how many of you know the, the group Kansas, an old classic? Okay, yeah, oh boy, look, okay, yeah. That, that shows you the demographics of our church right there, okay? Um, the song, Dust in the Wind. And one of the verses that I was using was that we're all but dust. He knows our frame that we're but, but dust, right? And so when they were playing that song, I mean, I started crying. You know, and for those of you that know me, that's kind of a normal thing. Um, but it, it just blessed me to know that God is in the midst of everything. Even when we don't know what we're doing, okay, he directs our paths. Um, and it was just an awesome time because if you didn't know, that song written by Phil Keggy, the lead uh, uh, guitarist of, of Kansas, he became a believer. And he wrote that song because of reading that, that verse, because we are just dust in the wind. So that was way off subject. So if you would, stand with me now, and we're going to read Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. And the title of the message today is, Having a Love That Lasts a Lifetime. Having a Love That Lasts a Lifetime. Mm, man. Let me, I want to pray again. I'm sorry. Lord, just right now I need your anointing, Lord. Strengthen me. Keep my mind on track. Keep me focused, Lord. In your precious name, amen. 
And you know what? This is the second time it's happened. I left my Bible outside. Can somebody just grab me a Bible? That's the second time. Third time and I'm out. I, that's what Tim told me. Thank you, sister. Man, oh man. I was running around getting that bake sale stuff set up and everything. And my wife has the flu. She's home. Pray for her. Pray for Leah. You should be praying for her all the time because she's married to me, but <laughs> pray for her right now because, you know, I miss, I miss her not being healthy. So, All right. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know, you, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Father, we thank you for your word. We know, Lord, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, than it is able to cut deep, even to pass the bone and the marrow, Lord, that it is the discerner of the things of our heart. So we yield to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. How's that? How's that mic sounding again? I may have to grab the... Uh, the handheld, so. All right, before we get started, I got a question for you. I mean, the title is A Love That Lasts Forever, right? Have you ever known an older couple or been around an older couple or seen an older couple somewhere? And, oh, okay. And the love they have for one another just kind of oozes out. It's just so sweet watching how they interact with one another, how they truly love each other after you know, how many years of marriage? I mean, to me, that is just amazing, right? It's amazing that people can still be so much in love after so many years. How many of you are married here today? Okay, keep your hands up. How many of you would like to be married here today? Sometime. <laughs> Dan. <laughs> You're going to get in trouble for that one. Okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you. Most of us here understand that marriage is very important. There's a, there's a, a unique relationship in marriage. And we're going to kind of meld that together with, with our verses today. Because a love that lasts a lifetime, it just doesn't happen. You have to work at it. And so we're going to talk about that today. Now, um, I've heard a lot of funny stories uh, from older couples that you know, when you ask them, how did you keep your marriage so strong? How are you still loving that individual after all these years? And I've heard a number of stories. The, the, the one that I thought was the, mo the funniest was um, uh, Reverend Billy Graham's wife. We should all know who she is, right? Got to be a saint of a woman to be with a man for that many years, as many times as he was gone from the home everything he was involved in, and he was being, they were both being interviewed on their 50th wedding anniversary years ago, <coughs> and the, uh, the reporter said to, uh, to uh, Mrs. Graham, all these years, did you, did you ever think about divorce? And she looked right into the camera, and she goes, no, 
Divorce is not a word that we use as Christians. Murder, many, many times. <laughs> but never divorce. And you know, that just touched my heart because you'll, you'll hear these stories of the, the secret to a long marriage, right? And I thought, wow, that's a, that's a secret right there. Um, for men, when, when men are asked, there's, uh, there's two words that men have to learn very early. Listen to this, young men. To make your marriage last a long time, there's two words you have to know. Guess what they are? Yes, yes dear. Or there's three words. You're right, dear. Amen? All the men should be saying amen right now. Okay. Um, however, I'm, I'm not going to go too much into other women's uh, sayings to the secret of success um, for self-preservation because I probably wouldn't get out the doors by the end of the service. Um, I want to give you a few statistics. Um, recent studies by the Barna Group show that 43% of marriages, first marriages, 43% of first marriages end in divorce. Almost half of all marriages in the United States end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. And 73% of third marriages and above end in divorce. And uh, the, the statistic that I found staggering was that 52% of marriages don't make it past 10 years. They don't even go 10 years before there's a divorce. And astoundingly, Christian marriages are no better. The numbers are almost identical, the same rates. And so with those sobering statistics, I want to kind of look at Revelation 2, 1 through 6 to find out how we can have a love that lasts forever. So let's look at verse 1. Verse 1. He talked about the lampstands, right? That he sees, he sees Jesus holding the stars in his hand and walking amongst the lampstands. Well, if you remember from uh, chapter 1, if you read chapter 1 before in Revelation, Jesus is the one walking through the lampstands. And the lampstands are the churches, right? And the stars that he's holding in his hand are the angels or the messengers. Most, uh, most uh, biblical scholars believe that those messengers are actual leaders of the church, okay? So he's the one who controls things. He's got him in his hand. And what I think is very interesting is the word that he uses for hold is the word curtail, which means to be a master of or to be possession of. So right off the bat, we're talking about a church that, as we'll see in a minute here, they've done all the things right. I mean, they are the poster child of a good Christian New Testament church. But it's not because of anything they've done. It's because the Lord himself is the master of that church. He is holding it in his hands. And he's moving through them. And that means there's got to be an intimacy. There's got to be an intimacy or a relationship between him and the churches. But it also means there's got to be an intimacy between him and me. Because I am the church, right? You are the church. The building is just a place that the church comes to. So there's the, the first point is, if you want to have a love that lasts forever, you've got to have a close, personal relationship with the Lord himself. You've got to be walking amongst him, just like he walks amongst us. You've got to understand that he holds you in the palm of his hand. He is the one in control. He's the one in authority. It's not you. It's not your views or your opinions. He's the one who is controlling all things. And so it's imperative that the first and foremost thing is you understand you need a relationship. Now let's look at verse 2 and 3. 
And we already read it, so we're just going to kind of get into it. Here Jesus begins to commend the Ephesian church on the things they're doing right. As I said, they're the poster child of a good New Testament church. But notice how he started the verse. I know your works, your da-da-da-da-da, and so on. The word here, know, is not what we normally think it is. It means to see or examine deeply. Because he is the authority and the intimacy that he has, and he's ultimately involved in the church, nothing gets past him. I'm sorry, guys, but many times when I was growing up, I thought, well, you know, the Lord didn't see that one. Or, you know, the Lord really doesn't know my heart right now or the things that I'm thinking. But that is so far from the truth. Nothing gets past him. He sees all my mess. He sees all your mess. But, of course, everybody would agree that, you know, with me that I've got more mess than you do, so we're just going to go on from there. Uh, when nobody else sees what's going on in my life, you, the outside may look good. Just like the Ephesian church, the outside looked really good. All the things they were doing, all the stuff they were doing for the Lord, but there was a major issue that the Lord had with them. So how does your outward appearance look? Do people go, hey, you know what? You're right on. Man, things are going good for you. But inside, you're falling apart. Inside, you're broken. Inside, you're about ready to give up and, and go away. I don't know what your heart is, but I know that I've gone through that many, many times in my life. And so we need to make sure that we understand that he knows and sees everything that we're going through. And thankfully, even knowing all my mess, he still loves me just the way I am. He doesn't want me to stay that way, right? But he loves me just the way I am, and he loves you just the way you are too. And he's there to correct us. He's there to show us and illuminate those things in our lives that we need to give over to him so we can make sure that our relationship with him is a good one. So he commends them for their labor. That's one of the things. They were a laboring church. You know, the, the hundred times that I've read it, I just thought, well, they're good hard workers, right? But that word there means pale and toil associated with intense laboring. In other words, they were suffering. This church was suffering. And why? Because of the persecution. Think about it. Here they are within the first century church. To be a believer was something that you would be easily killed for. Yet they were doing what God called them to do. Again, they were doing what God called them to do, but they were paying for it. He talked about their patience. They were so steadfast. In the midst of living in, uh, in Ephesus, which, by the way, if you don't know, it was a very pagan city. The Temple of Diana was there, okay? One of the, one of the seven wonders of the world. I believe there's like 100 and, 167 or 147 uh, 60-foot-tall pillars that surrounded uh, this temple. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. People would come all over as a pilgrimage to worship there. And, of course, the worship in the Temple of Diana uh, was uh, very uh, licentious. It was a very sexually immoral type of worship. But that's where they were. So you can imagine being a believer with these new ideas of how to live a godly life did not mesh with, with, with the whole city, the whole, the whole area was dealing with. So they were under a lot of persecution. But they were, they were steadfast in what they were doing. And he also says that you tested those that say they're apostles and are not. So in other words, these, these guys, man, they were striving for purity of doctrine. They were striving for purity of doctrine. They wanted to be right on. 
all these things, laboring and, and persevering and being steadfast and, and wanting a pure doctrine, would we not agree that those are great goals to have as a believer? I, I would hope you do, right? But all that, all the outward signs looked like they were a rock-solid church, a rock-solid church. And it appeared that they were a healthy church. But then Jesus, as he always lovingly does, when we think that we're all that in the bag of chips, right? He drops the bomb on them. And that's where we start in verse 4 now. He begins verse 4 with this word, nevertheless. Nevertheless. I, I heard that word a few times growing up from my parents, you know? Yeah, you, you got your room cleaned up, yeah, and you took out the garbage, yeah, and you, you swept the driveway, yeah. But nevertheless, you didn't mow the, the lawn. So no, you're not taking the car out on Friday night. So it didn't matter what I did. In my mind, there were still things that I was lacking that came from the person in authority over me. So despite all the good things that he just commended them for, he had a major issue with them. And that major issue was he told them that they left their first love. So they were doing all these wonderful things, steadfast, laboring, testing the people that said that they were apostles, sound doctrine, but yet, he says, you left your first love. Now think about that for a minute. This church, again, from the outward appearance, was an awesome new believer's church. But Jesus says, look, the love's gone. The love left the, left the relationship. It's kind of like, you know, when you hear, you know, we just kind of fell out of love. It's not you, it's me, right? How many times have you seen something in a, in a program or a TV or a movie? It's not you, it's me. But in this case, no, it was. It was them. Jesus was still so much in love with them. But they kind of lost the love. They lost the love. And that word left there is really important, okay? Because it's not, it's not an accident. Remember, the word is you left your first love. Now think about this, okay? To leave something shows an act of intention. And that, let's, let's look at it. That word means to send away, to show no regard for. So he's telling this church, look, you left me. You sent me away. You are showing no regard for your Lord and your Savior. There's an actual intent to do that. When you lose your keys, right, you didn't lose them on accident, did you? It was, I mean, you did lose them on accident. It wasn't purposeful. In today's life, man, you lose your keys or you, or you, or you lose your cell phone, you will look far and wide to find your keys or your cell phone because typically our life revolves around both those things, right? We've got to drive, and we've got to be in contact with people. But see, this isn't losing it. Those are accidental things. You purposely, is what he's saying, you purposely left me. In other words, you decided you wanted a divorce from me. Because that's the context of that word. In many of the scripture verses that I was studying, that word left in relationship to, or in terms of relationships, had to do with divorce. So it's like Jesus is telling them, telling me, you looked good, you did all the right things, but you, you, you left the love, you left me, you decided I wasn't good enough for you. I mean, that was, that was painful for me. 
Uh, I taught this same, same verses here about 15 years ago back home in Bakersfield, and it just pierced me. Because, you know, I mean, you know my story. I've told you many times before how I grew up. Man, I was doing all the right things. Again, there's that word doing, right? I was doing all the right things. The outward look was, yeah, but the heart, the love was gone. And the Lord reminded me 15 years ago, you, your love was left. And so I just want to remind us today, guys, that like in any good relationship, we have to be intentional, right? It just doesn't happen. A marriage just doesn't stay good. There, there's things that you've got to do to make sure that the love stays in that relationship. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So again, leaving your first love denotes a willful choice. A willful choice. Um, Spurgeon said this, A church has no reason for being a church when she has no love within her heart and when that love grows cold. To lose the love of God is to lose all. And that, that spoke to me. I, I'm going to put myself in here. I have no reason to call myself a believer if I have lost my love for Christ in my heart. In uh, 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 8, the scripture says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I'm going to read that again. He who does not love, that does not love, does not know God, for God is love. You see, that's the basis. If I've left my love, if I've divorced myself from Jesus, and I'm trying to do it on my own through my, my rules and my regulations and the do's and the don'ts, I don't know him. I have a form of godliness, right? But I deny the power thereof, right? Uh, in John 13, 35, most of us know this one. John 13, 35, um, it does not say, by this all will know that you're my disciples by the things you do for one another, right? No, it says that they will know by the love you have for one another. So remember, when Jesus was asked uh, the greatest of commandments, you remember that? Pharisees came to him and said, hey, you know, they're trying to trip him up. What's the greatest commandment? Do you remember what he told them? He told them Matthew 22, verses 37 to 39. Jesus replied to them, and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's love, guys. If we don't have love, like Spurgeon said, we, we don't even have the right to call us churches or Christians because that's what the basis is. The love of God that he imputes into us by salvation, that's how we call ourselves believers. So, man, I know I've been guilty of pursuing all those things that we talked about and endeavoring to do things for the Lord at the expense of showing and extending the love of God to others around me. I hope there's nobody besides me in here today that have done that. If you have, then I hope the Lord shows you today on how to fix that. And if, and if you are here like me, the question is, how do we get back to loving Jesus? How do we get back to loving Jesus? And because he is a loving God, he lets us know in verse 5 of Revelation 2. Verse 5, he tells us, basically, you need to remember, you need to repent, and to do the first works. It's real simple. Remember, repent, and do the first works. 
or he will come and remove the lampstand. Now, I know there's some um, Bible teachers that say, well, um, he's going to come and remove your lampstand. That means you're not going to be saved. You're not going to heaven. You're going to perish in hell for the rest of your life. But that's not really what the context is, okay? The removing of the lampstand, what was a lampstand? It was a thing of illumination. We were supposed to be the light to the world, the gospel going through us to the unbelieving world, right? So we are a light, a beacon, so to speak. So if we're not in love with Jesus, and if we're not showing the love to the world around us, what good are we? Sometimes we are our worst, worst enemy when preaching the gospel, right? So if we've lost the love with Jesus, when he says, I'm going to remove your lampstand, he's going to remove your influence. You can still call yourself a believer, and you're still saved. If you're in Christ, you're still saved because you don't earn your salvation, amen? It's a free gift by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. However, your influence is going to be greatly diminished. And for me, wow, to know that the Lord would not use me to bring love and mercy to those around me, I think, I think that's the worst thing that I could even think of. So let's go on here. Re re remember, repent, and do the first works. To remember, we need to remember what it felt like when we were first born again Christians. Do you remember that first day when you became a believer? And man, you were so in love with Jesus. I mean, it was like the sparks were running through your body, right? The excitement. We need to remember what it was like back then. Now, in any relationship, except my marriage relationship, because I know my wife's watching, in any relationship that we have that lasts for a long time, you know, the, the roller coaster ride, you know, you're really in love this week, but next week you're kind of on the low bed, right? Okay? That's because of life. Things happen in life. But our relationship with Jesus should not be that way. When we're in the bottom of the roller coaster ride, in the valley, so to speak, man, that's when we should be reaching out the most because that's when we need him the most. Man, when things are going great, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, thank you. It's when things are going bad that I should really be pressing in to know him. So remember what it was like to love him for the first time. And then that should take us to the next step, to repent. We had a great conversation last Thursday night about repenting of sins at our fellowship. And, you know, and I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes I do use the wrong words. And you know, my lovely sister here reminded me of that. And in this case, I can say repent, because if we're not loving Jesus like we're supposed to, then I would call that sin. Would you agree with me on that? Okay. So we need to repent, meaning we need to ask the Lord's forgiveness. Forgiveness for what? Forgiveness for being so focused on things, programs, positions, whatever it is. A job, another relationship with another human being, a passion, hunting, fishing, shooting, weightlifting, you name it. Whatever that thing is that is causing you to get your eyes off of Jesus, we need to repent of that because we want to make sure that he is the love of our life. Amen? And be excited about that again. And then finally, you know what? Do the first works again. Remember the first works you did. Do you remember that, that first love relationship with Jesus? Man, typically it involved four things for most people that I've talked to. The first one is you loved his word, man. Before, maybe you didn't even read the Bible, but now it's like you're, you're consumed with it. 
you want to read it all the time because it's life for your body, right? You now understand this is the Word of God. This is, this is, my, this is my manual on how to live and how to prosper. So the first deeds that we did, that I did as a young believer, was I consumed His Word. The second thing was I began to pray. Man, I prayed for everything as a young believer. Everything as a young believer. And that's a good thing, right? Because we should be committing everything to the Lord. But, you know, as, as time went by, my prayer life began to sag a little bit. And I'll tell you right now, that's probably the, the biggest issue that I have in my personal walk with Jesus. My, my prayer time is not as set as I would like it to be. Yes, I pray in the morning, but you know what? Sometimes it becomes uh, less of an uh, interceding with the Lord and more of a ritual with the Lord, right? But back in that day when I first became a believer, everything was about prayer with the Lord. I was so excited to talk to him. So remember your first love, repent, and then do the first works again. Get into his word. Be praying, and, and pray about everything again. Don't leave anything to chance. Anything. Commit it to the Lord. There's a third thing. Remember when you were first a believer and you wanted to be around other Christians? Especially Christians that maybe had a little more information than you did, were wiser, more time with the Lord, right? Being in fellowship is extremely important because we are built up and edified by those that are around us, which is why, as, as a body here at Calvary, home fellowships are so important. You learn about people. You get to know what they need. You get to pray with them face-to-face -face every week, and you get to see the things that God is doing in their life, too, as praise. So be with other believers. And then finally, you remember how excited you were to tell people about Jesus when you first became a Christian? I remember, you know, sitting at the table and after I got saved and I thought for sure my mom and dad and my brother were going to, you know, fall on the floor and get saved right then the first time I told them about Jesus, right? Of course, that's not how that happened, right? But you wanted to tell everybody. You probably lost some friends because you were just so full of Jesus. Every time you saw them, you wanted to tell them about the love of the Lord, right? And eventually they were like, okay, you can, you can hang with somebody else. You're too crazy for us but remember what it was like. And that's what he's saying. Remember those things that you did first off. Remember what your relationship with him was like when you were first a believer. And those are things that help us make sure that we are in a love relationship with Jesus. Not a doing work relationship, but a love relationship with Jesus. Because that love relationship is going to bring him honor and glory. Now, um, the scriptures tell us that we are the bride of Christ, right? We are the bride of Christ, and he is our husband or our groom, okay? And the Bible also shows us that the marriage relationship um, is designed by God himself. It's not something man designed. God designed the marriage relationship, and it is intended, intended to be the example to the world of the relationship that he wants to have with us. You know, when we do marriage, we did marriage counseling back home for about 10 years, um, and we do it here now with, with some couples. And I'll tell you, your marriage, if you're, if you're married here today, and this is not condemnation, okay? Because I've been in the same boat, trust me. When the world looks at you as a person who claims to be a believer, and they see your marriage, 
and they see that there's no love in your marriage, that you fight all the time, that you can't really stand each other, right? Um, the things that you say to one another is, is kind of derogatory and tearing down. Man, that is not the vision that Jesus wants to have for a relationship. And so your marriage is extremely important because the outside world is going to look at your marriage and go, that's what it means to be a believer. They love one another with a love that I don't understand, and that's got to come from God himself. So your marriage is the most important relationship, other than your relationship with the Lord, right, that you are going to have in this world. And so there's no condemnation because, trust me, we, you know, Lee and I, this is our second marriage, right? Um, n- none of our fault on the first ones that both those folks left, right? Um, but we had a tough time. You know, remember, um, 60% of second marriages end in divorce, right? Well, we've been married 22 wonderful, blessed years, if you're listening, okay? But it's all because of Jesus. We had tough times in the beginning. It was rough. I mean, when we made it to that 10th year, we were like, oh, praise God, we made it, right? So your marriage relationship is so important. So now what I want to do is I want to give us some practical tools to put in our spiritual tool belts, okay, so that we can get to the point in our marriage relationship with Jesus, okay, that leads to making sure that we never leave our first love, which is Christ. Now, there's four components in a marriage relationship. Now, remember, I'm not just talking about husband and wife. We're talking about us and the Lord now, right? Because we are the bride. He is our husband, okay? The first component that is extremely important is severance. Severance, and that's found in Genesis 2-4, right? Way back in the very beginning, and it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, the word there for joined is the word to cleave to. And the meaning is to cling or to stick, stay close, cleave, keep close, stick to, stick with, to be closely joined to one another. Do you get the meaning? You should be like glue on each other, man. You should be like peanut and butter in a peanut butter jelly sandwich. There should be nothing between you. So severance means nobody or no thing should come between you and your relationship with Christ. No thing and no person. The one thing that does the most damage to any relationship on earth or our relationship with the Lord is when we allow something to interfere with that relationship. Now, to apply that to our relationship with Jesus, we need to remove anything that causes our eyes to be taken off the focus of him. And again, we've already talked about some of those things, other relationships, passions, jobs, whatever it is. Anything that takes our eyes off of Jesus, we need to sever it. That's the whole idea, to cut it out, to sever it. The second component has to do with permanence, and that's found in Matthew 19, verses 6 to 8. It says, So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no man separate and they said to him, and this is the, the, uh, the Pharisees, well, why didn't Moses command us to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. See, 
divorce was because of the hardness of our hearts. Now, guys, ladies, there should be nothing, nothing that your spouse ever does or says that you should not be able to give them forgiveness for. Because don't we want to be forgiven for our faults, for our stupidity, for our sin with the Father? So we should be willing to forgive all, all things. Now, I understand, like in, in Leah and my relationship, the other people didn't have that same view, right? So there was really no way to forgive because they were just gone, okay? But in this situation, permanence, our relationship with Jesus should be one of permanence. It's intended to be for life. For those of you that know the movie uh, Sandlot, okay, the word forever, right? Permanence. Not as long as you make me feel okay, right? Not as long as you do what I need you to do. Because our relationship with the Lord sometimes when we're young believers, it's kind of based on what God does for me, right? I mean, that's the way it was me. Things are going great, and I thought, well, God's with me. But when things were going bad, it was like, well, is he even there? Well, maybe he doesn't care about me. But you see, permanence has nothing to do with our situational, right? Permanence has to do with the commitment that we've made to one another. So our relationship has nothing to do with the ups and downs of life with the Lord. Okay? We don't want anything to harden our hearts that would cause us to say, Lord, I need a break from you. I think I can do better on my own. No. Permanence forever. Uh, let's look at Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, let your conduct, the way you act, the way you deal with, right, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, he will never leave us nor forsake us. We sometimes, because of our stupidity, right, we make those decisions to maybe break relationship, but it's not supposed to be that way. So the first component, right, the second component, and now we get to the third one, unity. What is unity? Well, the absence of self-created discord or strife between us and Jesus. Notice it's self-created. Self-created strife or discord between us and Jesus. He doesn't create strife for me. But my fleshly desires sometimes create strife in my relationship. You see, every step or every decision that I make outside of God's will will affect my relationship with him. And it affects the unity of our relationship. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, the Lord, it says, Trust in the Lord, not your circumstances, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. You see, unity. Be in such unity with him. When you have decisions to make, where to go, what to do, job to take, relationship to be in, whatever it is, seek him. Seek his direction. Seek his will over your own. Keep that unity. And the fourth thing here is unique intimacy. Now remember, this we're talking about our relationship with the Lord, right? There's no other relationship that should ever come between you and Jesus, right? That, that damages the oneness that he desires to have with you. 
the oneness that he desires to have with you. Let's check out John 17, verses 22 to 23. It says, and and this is Jesus talking, and the glory which you gave me, meaning about the Father, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one, a unique intimacy. I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Man, that's unique intimacy. And that only comes by protecting those four components that we just talked about. Now, I wasn't planning on going in this direction, but I got a few extra minutes. So I want to talk about the vow. You see, when we get married here on earth, we typically have vows, right? And I am a, I'm a staunch believer that a person should always use the traditional marriage vows. I know people come up with their own, you know, I'll love you forever, you know, until, you know, whatever, but no. Okay, yeah, until whatever, yeah. There's no permanence in that one, is there? <laughs> um, but the vow is what our earthly marriage is, 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 relate, re, re, is founded on. You know, when I talk to people doing marriage counseling, I'll say, what is, your, what is your marriage founded on? And guess what everybody always says? Jesus, right? Our marriage is based on Jesus. And I look at them, I go, you know, that is such a sweet answer, but that is so wrong. And then they look at me with that evil eye, you know? And I tell them, no, your, your personal walk is based on Jesus. Each of your personal walk is based solely on Christ. But your relationship here, that's based on the vow that you've made to each other and to the Lord himself. Because when you say your vows, you're just not saying them to the person you're standing in front of. You're making a covenant, a vow with God Almighty. And so I'm just going to kind of look at that a little bit. And there's, there's nothing on the overhead for, for anybody to look at. So just kind of listen here, okay? The first thing I want to remind you is, what is a vow? Well, in, De- in Deuteronomy chapter 23, it talks about breaking a vow is sin. It's literally sin. So if I've made a vow to my spouse and I break that vow, it is sin. In Numbers 30, it admonishes us to keep our promises. These things are extremely important to the Lord. And finally, in Ecclesiastes verse, uh, or chapter 5, it tells us that we are to take them seriously. It's better not to make a vow and break it, right, than to break that vow. You know, God is a, is a person who always keeps his promise. He's faithful. Even when we're not faithful, he is always faithful. Amen? So the vow that we make to our significant other, right, is extremely important. Why wouldn't we think that the vow that we make to him when we become a believer is any less important? The vow is extremely important. So I want to look at the, the vows, right? When, when, when you were standing in front of one another, right, you, prob- you probably said something similar to this, right? Uh, you said, you know, um, I promise to love and honor and cherish, right? Anybody here do that one? Love, honor, and cherish, right? A couple of you, okay? The rest of you, you're outside of God's will, okay? Um, just joking, just joking, especially those watching online. I'm just joking. Um, and then you said something like, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, poorer, for sickness and in health, right? Those something like that, right? And then the, the kicker, right? Until the checkbook is empty. No, no. 
uh, until death do us part, right? See, the vows that you made had three conditions here. The first one was the things that we promised to do. The second aspect is under what circumstances we promised to do them. And the third thing was how long we were going to promise to do them, right? So look at this. We promised to love, honor, and cherish. Love, honor, and cherish. Well, love, God's love, agape love. So the love that I'm supposed to have for my spouse is the same love that I'm supposed to be using with God, right? I love him no matter what. It doesn't matter what goes on in my life. I love him regardless. Like Job. Think about Job. He lost everything. I mean, think of the things that he loved. Everything. Family, wealth, home, position. But yet, what did he say? Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. See, that's how we have to think about our vow with the Lord. No matter what we go through, even life itself, we still have to love him and be committed to him. And also, love is not selfish, right? His love is not selfish. We are selfish in our love. It's conditional, right? You know, I'll, I'll love you as long as, you know, you're making me happy, but as soon as you start burning the, the dinner or, or as soon as, you know, the yard's not kept clean or whatever it is, right, our condition begins to change. But true love is not conditional, and that's how we should be with Jesus. The second one is honor and respect. Not to demean, not to tear down. Within a marriage relationship, the words that we use are either going to build up my spouse or tear my spouse down. And so, and I'm telling you from experience, okay? Don't do those things. The words that I have used in the past were hurtful. And I've had to repent for those things, right? So we're either going to build up or tear down our spouse. So in our love relationship with the Lord, it's no different. You ever get mad at your spouse for something? Yeah. But we should never be mad at the Lord because he has our best interests at heart all the time. Make sure that that relationship, we're not using any types of words that's demeaning. He's a loving, merciful God. And the, the second part about that is honor. I think we've lost what it means to honor the Lord in our society today. Okay, Honor is a healthy fear, right? It's a healthy fear. I was talking to a brother this week, and we were kind of talking about some stuff, and, and he made the comment, yeah, Jesus isn't my homie, because that's something that we would hear, you know, back in California. Yeah, Jesus is my homie. Well, to me that, I mean, I understand what they're saying, right? There's a closeness, right? But to me, it's almost irreverent, because Jesus isn't my homie. He's my God. He's my King. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. So we need to be careful of, of how we even talk to him, I think. Yes, he is closer than a brother, right? He is the most important relationship that we're ever going to have. We can be intimate and real with him, but always have that sense of respect and honor for the Father. So then the conditions, right? The conditions, for better or for worse, right? Well, in this relationship here, it gets better and it gets worse, doesn't it? Okay? How about for richer or poorer? You know, been there on both of those, right? And finally, in sickness and in health. See, all these things are conditional. Our relationship with the Lord should not be based on any of these things that we're dealing with. Again, 
no matter what you have to give up, no matter whatever you have to go through, whether you're in great health or on your deathbed, no matter you are, you know, Donald Trump with every a bit of money in the bank or you're barely making your bills at the end of the month. Those things should not matter. He is faithful and he loves you with an ever-ending love, right? So don't let those things come between you and your vow. And finally, until death do us part. And there's many scriptures in the, in the New Testament that talks about those that persevere to the end will be saved, right? Those that persevere to the end. Well, you know, to what end? Well, I truly believe the perseverance is the life that God has given us right in here. Okay? However many years God has given you, however many days of breath that he puts in your lungs when you wake up, live that day worthy of what he did for you on the cross. Endure to the end. And when you take your last breath, man, I don't ever want to go. I don't ever want to go to heaven and hear, oh, so, who's this guy? And I talked about that a while back. Remember the, the scripture says, you know, when, when many come before the Lord and they say, Lord, we did this and we did that and da 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 da. And he says, depart from me. I, I never knew you. See, that's the intimate relationship part. Again, it's not about what we do. It's about who we know. The only way we make it into heaven is having a personal relationship with Jesus. So until death do us part, man, live your life for the Lord 100% serving him and doing what he's called you to do right here on this earth until he takes you home. Your vow to the Lord is the most important thing you will ever make in your life. From that point on, you just need to submit to him. So then how does a person make sure that these components and these, the, the issues with the vows okay, are present in our relationship with the Lord? Well, it must be intentional. And that's the one word that I'm going to use multiple times today. It's got to be intentional. It just doesn't happen. Okay? Um, some of you know that you know, I lost about 30 pounds because I was very intentional to be very specific on what I put in my body. But then I quit being intentional. And I'm back to the same place I was, okay? Ho, 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 it's almost Christmas time. <laughs> so we have to be intentional with what we do every single day. We need to ask the Lord to empower us by his spirit to help us seek him every single day to remember what that relationship is supposed to be like, a relationship that does not get to the point where I say, I've left my first love. Remember, we're either strengthening our relationship with the Lord or we're tearing it down. What things are we doing that is strengthening it? Are we in his word? Are we praying? Are we in fellowship? All the things that we talked about. Or are we so focused on programs or what I want to do or my goals for the future, man, that's going to that's gonna break that relationship. So be intentional. Stay close to him. Stick to him like that word said. Listen to his voice and his leading of the spirit. Remember what it was like to love him. Repent of the things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. And do the first works that you fell in love with Jesus with. Return to your first love. And I'm going to close with uh, Luke chapter 6. 
verses 47 to 49, and the worship team can come up if, if they want to. And even if they don't want to, the worship team can come up. Um, Luke 6, 47 to 49. It says, Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he was like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against this house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is the man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. You see, Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the rock. And we need to make sure that we have a loving relationship with him. Again, it's not about anything that I could ever do. I don't want to be an Ephesian church that on the outside looks good, but on the inside, I've left my love. Remember how much he loves you. Remember how much he cares for you. Remember that he wants to make you the shining example of love here on this earth that other people can see you and say, I know what you were like before. There's something different about you. What is it? And then you can share the gospel with them. It's all Jesus. It's who he is. It's who I want to be wrapped up in. Repent, remember, repent, and return to the first works because he loves you and he deserves the best that we could ever give him. Amen? Let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are an awesome God. I just I remember Pastor Brian's prayer this morning that we look so forward to the things that our amazing, awesome God is going to do today. Lord, I know just through the worship alone, my heart was touched. Lord, and I pray that the words that were spoken today touch the hearts of those that are here. And Lord, we just ask right now that if there's anybody that's here that maybe knows you and has a relationship with you, but realizes there's things that has come between you and them, and they understand that they need to repent of that, and they want to get back to that, that amazing sense of having that first love with you. I pray right now, Lord, that there's no condemnation, but there's just a sense of your spirit wooing them and drawing, drawing them back into that love relationship. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, if there's anybody in here right now, you're a believer. This is for believers right now. You want to have a better relationship with him, and you realize that you've made some mistakes, and, and maybe you, you need to repent of those things. Not that you're repenting of, for salvation. You're just saying, Lord, I know that I've been doing it on my own. I know that I haven't loved you the way I need to. If that's you, just raise your hand. God bless you. God bless you. There, there is hands all over this room. My, both of my hands are up because I know, Lord, I need more of you. Well, at the end of the service today, just don't walk out of here. I pray that, that you would come down and speak to the elders down here and, and just confess those things and start this day anew. And now for those that have never had a relationship with Jesus, you've, you've never said, according to Romans chapter 10, 
you haven't believed in your heart, nor have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. But you understand now that, yeah, I, I need to do that. I understand that God loves me so much, and, and there's some things that he requires of me, and, and I want to have a relationship with him. I, I want to love him the way he loves me. If that's you, and, and you feel that tugging at your heart right now, don't be scared. We, we've all gone through it. Every one of us that has committed our hearts to the Lord, we know that, that pounding that's there right now. So if that's you, you've never made a commitment, but today's the day of salvation, just throw your hand up. Just raise your, don't be afraid. Just put your hand up and say, Lord, I need you today. One more, one more opportunity. Anybody here that has never made a commitment for Jesus? Well, Father, we thank you that, that the believers that are here today have realized there's some things that they need to work on. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that your word declares that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we leave here today, I pray, Lord, that those hearts would be mended and that love relationship with you would be, would be rekindled. And so we commit the rest of the, the morning to you, Lord, and we ask that you would be glorified and that you would receive all honor and all praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.